Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. Today, we're talking about Minute 10, which begins with Loki looking unhappy and ends with an ominous shot of two Einherjar guards approaching the casket of Ancient Winters. Joining us on the podcast today, sadly for the last time, is Ryan Bennett of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Ryan, what's kind of been your overall feel for these five minutes we've watched together? May I have really looked at uh, Thor's eyebrows now. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, y'all, every yep. time we start, yes, like every, you know, Andy got me started. Like every time I look at Thor now and they're like, especially when I'm breaking it down minute by minute, it's just going to all be about the eyebrows. But no, I, I really enjoy talking with you guys about this and just like learning some of the mythology that you don't think about because you get so swept mm. up in the, in the action scenes and the, you know, where it all fits in the MCU. So to get to break it down with you guys has been, it's been uh, very entertaining. Um, learned a lot. Uh, like I'm, I really want to know more about these special effects that you guys are really breaking down and I think it's really cool. Great, great. Well, hopefully you'll keep tuning in for later minutes and, uh, and we'll get to have you back for later seasons. And we're going to have all that. We're going to talk about Odin's speech and some more of the effects right in a moment. We are an independent podcast from True Story FM. We love producing this show and geeking out about Marvel content every day, but it takes time and costs money. Without our members, for whom we are eternally grateful, we could not keep this going. Membership means that we can deliver content to you without selling your information and interest through podcast advertising sources. We like our privacy and know that you do as well. If you're already a member, thanks. If you're not, please consider becoming a member for the season. It only costs $5 per month, or we offer a discounted price if you join at the annual rate. You'll get bonus episodes, early access to shows, access to live streams, stickers, and more. Plus, you get the comfort of knowing that you're supporting this independent podcast production. Visit truestory.fm slash Minute to learn more. Thanks. All right, so my favorite question for you both. What grabbed you about this minute? Is the Mjolnir, I was trying to be careful how I pronounce it, right? Mjolnir for Thor's... Oh, thank Mjol- God someone pronounced this thing wrong, Mjolnir? <laughs> Mjolnir? Mjolnir? Yeah, Mjolnir. Oh, Mjolnir. Oh, okay. Even Darcy can't get it right. See, I feel like I'm going to say yeah. Mjolnir. Is that right? Mjolnir? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. Mjolnir. Mjolnir. <laughs> Um, that, see, I was gonna say that's my favorite moment. I can't even get it right, but I was gonna ask like if it was different than later on in the in the episode because it looked a little bit more like wear and tear on it now, like a little a little bit more like it didn't look as like presentable as it was ended it in the vault. Like it had that gold shininess to it. Yeah, it didn't have that new car sense to it you know, anymore. It looks like this is this has had some blood wiped off of it by now. Right, right. But yeah, that, that was my favorite moment just to get to see Thor with that. But I still want that explanation of why. I guess we kind of talked about it a little bit, but you just know why it chose him. But he, I mean, yeah, it looks good with him. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. It looks that's a good weapon for him. It is. It's definitely the like one of the things that stands out here in this minute is the fact that they certainly emphasize the hammer. And also, Odin speaks about it. He says, so long entrusted with the mighty hammer Mjolnir, forged in the heart of a dying star. And then I love that he says this. Its power has no equal as a weapon to destroy or as a tool to build. And I think that's a really interesting thing to say 
as you know, he's about to kind of give his son the crown here in this coronation, the idea that, you know, it's not just a tool for destruction. It also, I mean, it's a hammer. And it, for some reason, like, I always think about Thor swinging the hammer as right. a weapon, but it's like, it is a tool. It's a hammer. You use that to mm-hmm. build things. And I, 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 when I heard that line this time, I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, it is. It, there's a power in this as something that can be used right. to help kind of build things up. I'm gl- I'm really glad you had that because I admit I I was my cynical side maybe. I, I'm trying to imagine <laughs> Thor using Mjolnir to just hammer in a nail and like it seems like overkill. I feel like the wall is really not going to do well when that happens. Like you haven't seen an Asgardian nail, my friend. I mean that's what I have to, I have to imagine some like twelve foot nail that has to. You know, I mean, granted you got you got this huge building, so maybe that is what's necessary. <laughs> so the first, one of the first things we see is Loki looking unhappy. And I think this is a great moment to really kind of get into Loki a little bit more. Uh, Kevin Feige saw this as the origin movie for both Thor and Loki. And Breno said that during filming, the way he was thinking about this was, and quote, is he bad? He being Loki. Is he bad? Does he have a plan? Does he love his brother? Does he hate his brother? Hate his father? Is this happening before our very eyes? How does he truly react to the secrets and lies that emerge in the course of the story? And the sense I got from Brana was that he kind of didn't really have an answer. And and this, I think, really speaks to the quality of Tom Hiddleston. I don't know if we want to go into him now, uh, Andy, or do him later. But the way Brana explains it, he's, he's kind of said to, to Tom, like, I don't know. How, how are you going to play it? And a lot of this great nuance and trying to find those lines in that gray area of where does Loki fit is a lot of, of Hiddleston kind of taking that ball and running with it. I think there's something great about what he brings to Loki. And again, this, and I know we all disagreed on this, but I really liked that deleted scene because Mm -hmm. it gave me a sense of their sense of being brothers. Like I felt like there was a real connection between the two of them. There was a history between the two of them when I don't have that. And a sense that there's kind of this, this side that, I mean, yes, he's mischievous and everything, but he still kind of can have a connection to Thor. With this as the introduction to adult Thor, or the adult Loki, I just get a sense that he's always just kind of evil and, and mischievous. Like, I, I'm always suspicious of him now, whereas at least I felt like before there was there was a connection there. And so, I, yeah, I don't know. But I, I love the way that Tom Hiddleston does play the character. And certainly, he's had a lot of time over the entire uh, entirety of the MCU to really develop the character. And I, you know, I said that before, that's something that I wish the MCU would do more with more of their villains is give them a chance to come mm-hmm. back and be in other films as another element in them. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think Tom Hiddleston does an excellent job of, of Loki. Um, the more times he's used and just the 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 fact that he can play with this this um, this curious, suspicious, like bad guy element or bad boy element that you want to know more. He plays it very subtle where it's like, is you you start out with a love hate relationship because you're like, oh, it's Loki. What is he going to do now? I mean, we've been through all these films. He's up to it again. But then you're still curious. Like, I still really want to follow him around and figure out like what magic trick he's about to throw out. Like, I really want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but yeah, this this and and in this scene, um, I, I feel like now because Andy has me thinking about this foreshadowing of what's coming because they do leave out some of these events. So I'm thinking his face was like, oh, he knows he's about to do something. Like nobody else knows, but he's like got it written all over his face, but nobody else cares because there's so much into their, you know, bravado and hey, it's me and it's Thor's moment. So nobody else is paying attention. Yeah, it's funny because I think this is, this really speaks to the quality of the movie because we kind of have some different takes on this because, you know, Andy, you talked about how from 
what's on screen, all you get is suspicion. I find myself really feeling sympathy for Loki in this moment, you know, because knowing what we saw just a minute or two ago of you're both born to be kings, either of you could be king, you know, and Loki is now getting to see, uh, you know, see Thor have this. And, and yeah, I think what we're all talking about, is there's a real conflict within him. It's not, we can't just say he loves his brother or he doesn't, he's envious or he's not. It, it's all these complicated things. Uh, although the other thought that occurred to me as we were talking about this, and you're both saying like this rivalry the two characters have had ever since we've gotten so much great social media out of you know the kind of banter and joking back and forth between the different mcu actors i kind of love i kind of hope and love the idea that at some point tom messaged chris and is like yeah so all your name on the movies but when's your tv show coming out you know uh (laughs) when's that gonna happen so yeah, he only got to be the frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of a fun little moment <laughs> that, you know, like, it was the Thor yeah. movies, but now Loki's the one with his own show. Yeah, right, right. I, d- I will say, though, like, I think that they captured the costume of Loki so well, like, with those horns and just the way it looks. Like, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. I, and we, I should really say that about all the costumes. Like, they, they found a way to take what was created in the comics and, and create these characters in costumes that i believe it's not like the kind of the the uh, superman spandex sorts of costumes like i, I right. feel like these are real authentic costumes that they just did such a great job with and loki but with those horns oh man it's just that is an image right there should we do should we do the imdb game for him Ooh, sure. yeah are you too are you too up for this all right so tom hiddleston what four movies do you think imdb says that he is known for i know that i believe he currently holds the record for having been in the most uh, movies with other movies with other MCU stars. Um, because oh, okay. he was in Kong, I, I, forget, I think Kong Skull Island is the first one that would come to mind for me, in which both Samuel Jackson and Brie Larson was in. So yeah, Kong Skull Island is the first of the other movies. I think probably a lot of them are going to be the, the Thor movies. So I would say probably Ragnarok, Endgame, uh, Kong Skull Island, and I'm not sure for the last one. I don't think I had that many choices for him. I I would have said Endgame. I definitely like Endgame um, and Ragnarok, but I think I don't know if I have a um, how many. I'm supposed to have four or five. Four. Uh, I would just stop at three because I just well I just want to put in the Loki to TV series because that's when I really became a fan mm-hmm. of Tom Middleton. Like I think he did a fantastic yeah. job really bringing this villain out. Um, and like you said, Andy, to your point, they should do this more. Or Matthew, I think you were saying as well, they need to do this more with villains. Like they don't, they don't flesh yeah. these things, these guys yeah. out a lot. And I just think he did an incredible job, like walking us through in the time jumps and everything that he had to deal with. I thought he did an amazing job trying to walk us through that world. I, I'll also say, I know that there's some people who've been big fans of, of Tom Hiddleston, uh, in terms of how he looks from the very beginning. I currently think Tom Hiddleston is one of the most attractive men in the MCU. I think his Loki is just dead sexy. Looking at this, I had, I forgot how young he looks in this. And I was just like, oh, oh where's my brooding man? Like, did you, did you come back in 10 years? You're not quite, quite finished yet. <laughs> well, he certainly was growing into the role, mm-hmm. uh, which might speak to what he's known for because it's all Loki. Oh, it's wow. all four are appearances where he played Loki. First up is the Avengers. I mean, he is the main villain in that film. Second is this film, Thor. Third is Thor the Dark World, and fourth is Thor Ragnarok. So we have a lot of Loki on this list, which okay. I think is uh, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take a step back. We didn't do Rene Russo, and I wanted yeah. to see if you two had any thoughts about where Rene Russo, um, what films they say that she is known for. 
on the IMDb site. Man, she has the face, but I got nothing. It's so embarrassing. Like yeah. she has the face where it's like, I know I've seen her or something, but it's not her. I'm like, oh, I got the wrong actress. <laughs> it's funny. I remember the first time I saw her, I was like, wow, Michelle Pfeiffer looks young because she has a very <laughs> sort of Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. you know, look to her. And I'm trying to, so I'm trying to think, um, major league. I definitely think of her from, and I believe she was in some of the lethal weapon movie. That's, oh, that's really okay. where she and made I, yeah. her break. Yeah. And then I think was she also in a Schwarzenegger movie at some point, maybe true lies. She wasn't in true lies. That was Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. That's right. Um, I don't think she was in anything with Schwarzenegger, at least, uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. She, she began her career as a model. I know that. And then kind of, you know, it's always great to see someone like, you know, a musician or someone like that cross over to acting and, and show they can be both. So yeah, I, I guess I would guess, um, major league, probably lethal weapon. I don't think she's in two. So I'm going to guess three and four and then probably, uh, event, an Avengers movie, if not two. Uh, well, it's actually the first one up is Nightcrawler, which, uh, if you haven't seen, is a fantastic film with that she's in with Jake Gyllenhaal. And um, both of them are are incredible in that film. So that's her first one. Second one is the remake of The Thomas Crown Affair, which she was just dead sexy in. Um, she, she was in with Pierce Brosnan. Third was Ransom with Mel Gibson. Oh, and then the fourth was Lethal Weapon 4. She was in the last two of the Lethal Weapon films, but this is the one that she was... Um, tagged as so which is weird because i lethal weapon 3 is the one that i would have picked because that's the one where they're like you know comparing scars from all their battles and stuff which was kind oh, of a fun scene so, yeah, yeah it's funny I, I know i need to see nightcrawler i've heard such good things about it when people first told me about it i got very excited and then was very angry it wasn't an x-men movie so like i have to kind of get, <laughs> get past that sense but yeah um and so here, though, we, we talked in our last minute about Odin, and I think here we get a lot more of his reaction, you know, and, and the first thing we hear is um, his voice breaking, you know, like I think Anthony yeah. Hopkins played it so well. And I definitely will talk later about if there is some doubt or concern, but I definitely got like this is a very proud father kind of moment. It's a, it's a strange moment. And I mean, it does, I guess when I watched it, I probably thought he's a proud father. His, you know, his voice is breaking a little bit because he's so proud he's going to turn over the kingdom to his son. And then it's like, oh, then by the time Thor Ragnarok comes out, I'm like, oh, maybe is there some hint of uh, emotion here? Because, you know, my firstborn knowing that it, he wasn't. And so it's, it ends up, over the course of the entirety of the Thor storyline, I, I start rethinking his reaction here. And I know, you know, I, I doubt they were necessarily um, thinking about that at the, at the time, but it certainly is something worth noting. Yeah, his, his reaction here definitely screamed a lot of doubt to me. Like, it didn't seem like the sure, like, hey, this is coronation. You know, it didn't seem like by the book coronation, like something was off, like something seemed weird. Oh, yeah about his uh again anthony hopkins playing with the face like very well done like he you, you don't you like have a thousand guesses to what he's trying to get across or what he means for thor mm -hmm. oh for sure i yeah. think there's definitely a lot of doubt there i i just brought up the the voice breaking because that was the first thing that happens and and that's a part of it but i think you're right the and, and even uh we talked a, a bit before about what he says to me, him saying you know the hammer is a weapon of war but also of creation and that a king has to both fight but create we haven't seen much of it, but we saw Thor being all about like, oh, yeah, when I'm king, I'll smash them. And, and 
I think there's kind of a little very pointed moment there of him kind of being like, yeah, remember, your job is not just to fight your enemies. Your job is to build. Your job is to to help grow Asgard and make it a safe place for for everyone and, and all of uh, the Nine Realms. It, it does. Well, I don't know if I want to talk about this now or later when we actually do have Odin fall into the Odin sleep. But it does make me wonder because they, they talk about in that moment that he's he's done it before. Like he goes into the Odin sleep if he needs to have a moment where, I, I don't know, he his body needs a rest. But it's like, why, you know, why is this the time that he's coronating Thor to become king? rather than any of those other times or or why isn't he just going into the all sleep and not worrying about a coronation because he knows he's going to come out it's it's strange to me and you know we'll again we'll talk about it later i'm sure in in much greater depth but it does strike i like i just i'm so curious about why is this the particular moment that he said now thor is going to be king well i'm wondering maybe if, if we saw it differently and ryan maybe you can kind of be the tiebreaker here i, I thought what was happening in this moment was this was when he was officially declaring Thor his heir. You know, this is something that royalty will often do, is there's a moment when sort of, you know, Prince William officially becomes the Prince of Wales and is officially coronated as next in line. And, and that's what I thought was happening. It's not that he was, like, abdicating and handing over the throne, but that he was saying, like, I'm officially declaring that Thor is my heir and that, like, be prepared. But you're right, it is kind of murky. Well, because he he does say at some point, like, because Thor says, you know, now that I'm king, let's do that. And then or let's go fight them. And then then Odin comes in. But you're not king in that whole moment. So that's what made me think of that. Yeah, I think it's very much um, maybe he's just kind of foreshadowed. It's that thing where it's like, okay, I feel like I'm getting up there. I fought this war for a while. You know, maybe this is the moment. Um, And and I can't remember, too. Isn't Thor like there was some kind of battle he just came back from? I don't know if that was if that was a signal to him as well. Um, You know, like, hey, let me do this coronation. So, um, you know, I can not really pass the torch, but it's like, okay, we know this is going to be my successor if this does happen you know, like having a backup plan, but then it's like, he's still kind of doubting his backup plan. So it's very interesting. Like when you slow these scenes down to kind of see what he's, what he's thinking. Especially because, and this might be one more emotion that uh, Odin is feeling, you know, normally the, the ruler is dead before the next person comes along. Right. And it's, yeah. there's a lot of truth to the cliche of old men having trouble handing over power, you know, and accepting that they're aging and accepting that they are not the the great warrior they once were. You know, and certainly in this moment, it seems like Thor is now the one who is fighting the battles, not Odin. Right. And so, yeah, I, I don't, it, it's very interesting. And I, I do kind of wish they had clarified that a little bit more, Andy, because I think you're right. It's, it's, it, to me, it's very murky and unclear what exactly is happening at this moment and why is it happening at this moment? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little strange. I don't know. I, I'm torn on that scene that we talked about that had been in the script between Odin and Frigga before all of this, where Odin's hand was shaking and he's just like, he's he's decided, it seemed, to to kind of turn things over because he needs, he has to go into the all sleep um, because his, I don't know, his body is weak. It's it's That's not even clear in the script. But I wonder if they cut that because they were concerned people would be confused but even still, it ends up feeling confusing, but maybe less so at this point. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting thing to kind of continue to pay attention to as we continue going through the film. I can't remember because I, I admit Dark World is not my favorite MCU movie, and I've not seen it as many times as the others. 
Is Thor referred to as a king in that movie? I don't think he becomes king until um, when Odin dies. Yeah, that's what in, I thought in Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah that makes me sen- sense that. Uh, but yeah, you do kind of wish that Odin got to finish that sentence because you know he mm-hmm. said. <laughs> w- the reason we don't know is because he was going to say, "I now declare you." Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so yeah, so now let's get into that moment. So we start to see the the frost giants. Well, we're not even quite sure because we don't know what's happening. It's just we go into the vault, right? Like the camera drops down. And then goes like it, it was kind of a cool exterior shot that where it drops down and then goes in like through some vents into Odin's vault um, or his treasure room or his weapons vault. There's a bunch of names for it, but I think the script just refers to it as the vault. It's an odd room, though. I don't know. What do you two think of this weird? It's like a hanging. Is it a hanging room? Is that what you you think it looks like? Yes, very like it's it's like a. Yeah, I don't know. It's like some kind of, or like some kind of hidden trap bolt sort of situation where it looks like something can pop out at you. Like as these two guards are like walking down the hallway, like it's got this mysterious. You can't see some of the, some of the like the the side doors or like the side openings is very dark and just like one lit. So yeah, it's yeah, it's it's very mysterious that scene. But yeah, it definitely it definitely pulls your interest because you're first you're watching this like coronation, aka it could be a wedding the way it's set up. And you all of a sudden cut to this very dark, like mysterious scene. And you're like, Ooh, what kind of different vault are we in now? Like what's, what's getting ready to happen? Honestly, what I thought about that is to me, it looks like something out of a video game, you know? And, and to me, I think it was very much a comic book kind of a look. Mm -hmm. Like this looks like something that was designed by a person who never had to ask, like, how does this fit into the rest of the architecture? They're just like, look, (laughs) this looks cool. That's all that matters. And to me, that's very much a comic book idea. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if actually this, if, if that is meant to look like something from the comic books themselves. I, you know, that's a good question. I would need to um, kind of dig through the comics some more. And maybe over the course of the show, I'll find some time to see if I can find some episodes that actually, or some issues that actually feature Odin's vault and see how it is depicted. Because, yeah, it's such a strange, like, architectural, I guess you'd say, wonder the way that it's depicted here because it looks like it's this giant like chamber like almost like a cave with this these like i don't know it looks like staircases that kind of descend down into this thing that looks kind of like a ship down in the middle uh it's it's such a peculiar temple-y sort of thing i i don't know i i always um every time i see it i'm like that's such an odd structure I mean, that's really all I can say about it. It's so weird. And I have to say, the writer and the and and the director and the set designer, they all kind of have the perfect out here because they've established that Asgard is supposed to be utilizing science that's beyond human comprehension. So anytime there's something like, how does that architecturally work? It's beyond human yeah. comprehension. We don't know. You know, it's just like yep. anything can go in this world in that regard. What what is cool about it is that this is where he stores, where Odin stores all these different things, and we've seen, you know, we've seen the casket of ancient winters down at one end, and the eternal flame, and there was the podium that that stored Mjolnir mm-hmm. at one point. We don't know what is there anymore, since obviously Thor has it. Um, but there are eight other. There's a total of like nine different areas, and so um, this is where we get to see some cool little artifacts some marvel like nods to the to the marvel universe which is kind of fun i was paying so much attention to like the artifacts and the scene i didn't even think about the fact that it's so random to have two guards walking down here 
I'm like, what are they doing? Like, I didn't even pay attention to what, you know, because I was so busy looking at everything else as far as like the uh, set design and everything and the artifacts that I was like, well, why? Because now you think about it, you're like, well, why are they even going down there? Like, what's going on? You know, that's totally fair. And I'll say, I, I want to hear more about the artifacts because to me, I mostly notice the guards because there's something so ominous about it, as well as like, you know, if you've seen a movie before, you generally know if you see a shot of a couple of guards and the music is getting a little ominous, like <laughs> something's about to go down, yeah, yeah. you know? And so it's kind of a very nice foreshadowing moment. Uh, so Andy, what did we actually see down there? So the artifacts that we see here at the, at the opposite end from the casket of ancient winters, the first thing we see is the tuning fork. This was an item that they used to summon the lurking unknown to Asgard in, in that comic run. Um, it actually, it, you cannot see it in the film, but if you find some um, some production stills of this particular part of the set, you can see that there are runes written behind it. And when you translate it, it says tuning fork. So it's pretty obvious that this is the tuning fork. Um, it actually was um, the Internet when the film first came out. People incorrectly identified this as the orb of Agamotto, uh, one of the Doctor Strange objects, which we actually see looks completely different when we finally see the Doctor Strange movie. Across from this, we see a fork and an orb could look the same. But again, like, well, and I, but what's weird is like a tuning fork. If I hear tuning fork, I mean, I have a very specific image of what Mm -hmm. a tuning fork looks like in my head. And this doesn't look like that. But again, it doesn't look like a casket. So, you know, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Um, On the opposite side, you have the tablet of life and time. Um, It actually does have runes written on it that translate to those who sit above in shadow, which is um, a reference to the god of the gods in the comics are omnipotent and omniscient beings that draw their life energy released by the Ragnarok and caused the cycle of death and rebirth to continue. This artifact also has written on it a formula that would grant someone immortality and great powers. This first appeared in a Spider-Man comic, and Doctor Strange subsequently also owned this. I love details like this because you do have them in the earlier movies, but Andy, you and I talked on an earlier minute that this was the first movie they made once they that where they knew that the MCU was going to be a thing, you know, and that yes. they knew... Iron Man had been a success. Iron Man 2 had been a success. You know, they they planted the teaser for this movie already. And so to me, it felt like this was when the comic book guys could be like, you know what? Go wild. Like now we can start planting all that stuff because there's a possibility we will get Doctor Strange. There's a possibility we will get Spider-Man. If Sony would ever give up the rights, which I have some thoughts on, but that's another story. <laughs> you know, like I just have this wonderful image of the of the both the people who are themselves huge comic book nerds, like you know Kevin Feige and the like, or the others who are learning about it, just being like, "All right, let's just no more holding back. Let's put everything in this because we'll get to it all." Well, I, I love that even Kenneth Branagh, like he seemed kind of giddy when he talks about these in the commentary. Just the fact that you know, ooh, comic book fans are going to have fun figuring all this out. Like yeah. he seems to really enjoy this and i just love that about him that he's kind of a comic book fan himself you know i know that like in, in some of his later movies a lot of sort of shakespearean critics were starting to be very critical of him and and you know and i think that always happens when someone becomes known as like the big star and so i, I kind of have this wonderful idea of him being like all right i'm gonna go to a totally different audience now <laughs> you know let's see what the marvel fans have to say yeah so a couple other kind of fun moments that that happen in this minute there's that one shot of Loki kind of looking pensive and you can see he's not the happiest. 
And then in the corner, not really in the center of the frame by any means, but a Sif looking very suspicious at Loki. What what do you think is going on in that moment? I, I just think Sif doesn't like Loki. Like I think she she from the get go is like she reads his personality, like his 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 demeanor. And it's just like always like I feel like in the back of her head that it's like, OK, I have to respect him because the way the hierarchy works and what's going on. But I just feel like she's picking up a vibe from him. That's just not good. Like, all the time, you know, like she, just like the way she's looking at him. It's just like, oh, I know he's I know he's doing something. I know he's up to something, but I can't I can't say anything. I don't have any proof right now. I get the sense that she's the one in that group, you know, of like Thor, Loki, the Warriors three and her. That Loki will do something terrible and hurtful and they'll all be like, oh, that's just Loki. And Sif will be like, but really? Yeah. Like, we're really going to be okay with that? Like, you know, she, she's definitely got her eye on things. It does make me think that maybe when you're looking at things in the timeline, that the moment where Loki had cut her hair, where she confronts him in the TV show, that had happened before this. <laughs> and so she's now in a place where she just doesn't trust him because like you, you bastard cut my hair. You probably you know, got some just, scissors <laughs> right now underneath that clothes. Either or that exactly. or that was not the only trick he played on her. You know, yeah. I get the sense Absolutely. that was yeah. uh, perhaps one of many. So, yep. Yeah. So I think we have a lot to say already. Is there any other kind of last things about this minute that someone wanted to point out? I, I'll, I'll actually start. Cause there's one more thing about Mjolnir that I love that they said, um, as I've said, this is not the origin story from the mythology. It's it's much more true to the comics. But I like that they say that Mjolnir was forged in a dying star. It sets up such a wonderful reference to Stormbreaker, you know, and how it's forged with the light of a star that has to be reignited. Uh, I'm sorry, the forge has to be reignited from the star. But still, just it. I don't think this was written thinking of that, but I think knowing that this was the moment that they were probably referencing a bit in Ragnarok was, I thought, really awesome to see. Yeah. I, I love that whole moment. Everything that Odin says about Mjolnir, I think, is just great here. And it's, I mean, we've pointed out before, that's, it's not completely Mjolnir's history, but I love the way that, um, that it's described, just, it's a simple description and it creates this sense of uh, a very powerful tool. Yeah, I just love the tools, period, in this, in this minute, just the way they were used and, um, you always come to the NCU for the, for the, um, for the Easter eggs, for the little nuggets, for things that you can point at. And you're like, Oh, I knew they were going to do that. I knew that was going to be the next film. So yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Thor and Loki have become such rich characters who've gone in so many different directions in the MCU. I think one of the things I'm loving about this movie is seeing all these moments that set up the things that are later, you know, and you remember, Oh yeah, that, that was the re- relationship between Thor and Odin back then, you know, and how that's changed and stuff like that. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, Ryan, you've been a fantastic guest for this entire week. Thank you so much. Tell us just one more thing about Black Girl Nerds. What's one thing that um, you haven't gotten to say yet that folks should know about the podcast or you or any of the other ways that they can find all the great content you're creating? It's just we we talked about in some of the other minutes. It's just about having diversity and something different. Um, and if you guys just want to hear like a different perspective on, you know, uh, Marvel, not just Marvel, sometimes DC, um, just entertainment in general. Um, sometimes we're talking about, you know, Andy talked about it a little bit. Sometimes we're talking about eyebrows and hair and you don't get that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> on different things, you know, some that people aren't pointing out. We're talking about, hey, why didn't they cast, um, you know, this actress or this actor in here, you know, just about these different companies now and especially the time period we're in after COVID and and people really having to rethink how they get um, the entertainment out to people just having different faces and, and having more diversity, people of color. So, um, 
and you know, and and why we love, like if you don't, you know, like Thor, Thor obviously, you know, being a white male in front of why we love these films, even though you know it's not that diversity yet, but you know, getting that different perspective on what was it about these this MCU that pulled us in from the beginning, you know, and that the fact that we appreciate they notice that we've been watching these years and they're slowly trying to to include that in and, and diversify that. So yeah, and thank you guys again. Like I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. So many details I didn't notice about this movie. I'm gonna go back and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you guys can find uh, Blacker Nerds on all social media platforms um, and wherever you listen to podcasts at. So yeah, thank you guys again. I really appreciate it. I think that whole point you just made is so important. And you know, not long ago when um, the Suicide Squad movie came out, Amanda Waller has been one of my hands down favorite characters in DC for quite some time. And you know, we did a podcast on that movie, but there's an extent to which, like, there's a lot about her character, you know, I, for myself as a white non-binary person, the other people on the podcast, we were like, you know, there's so much about her character that we're, we're going to be missing, you know, and that's why other voices are so needed. I mean, about all of those things, especially, but uh, not not just, you know, uh, characters of color. But it does make me wonder, like, has your podcast talked about the Suicide Squad or are you planning to? Um, I actually, that's, that's actually something I want, I would love to get into. Cause yeah, that, that, the whole DC world, the way they've done a lot of that, I would actually like to talk about like the Justice League if we ever get a chance. Mm. Like to break that down would be cool too. But yeah, there's so many like, um, that's what I love about it. And so many areas we've led to explore as far as recaps is just being able to talk about those differences and things you want to see. And, you know, were they really trying, was this world or was DC really trying to go that way? Or did we just take that from the character? Did we just create that? You know, was that something they were really trying to present? So you get the like, I love diving into those. And um, like you said, bringing up those characters that they don't question, you know, you don't get a lot of people questioning it a lot is um, um, it's a lot of fun for me to do. So, yeah, I'll, I have to keep you guys posted. I got to get into Suicide Squad. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Thank you to all of our fans and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 